This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special installment of Barron's Live. This is Alyssa Corum, along with Justin Nielsen of Investors Business Daily, back with another monthly episode for you. And one that is quite timely, Justin, because a lot of focus in the market right now is on the financial sector and the current banking crisis sparked with the fallout from the failure of SVB. So a lot of concerns when it comes to banking, what are the ripple effects, and uh, a lot of people feeling like this sort of came out of the blue. So today what we want to talk about is how to spot subtle warning signs in the lead up to things that can happen like this so you're not caught in a big lurch when things start really falling apart. So Justin, what are your thoughts right now with what we're seeing currently unfold? This is still a developing story, really. Yeah, it it absolutely is a developing story. And it's one of those things where a lot of times you look back at things and some of the fundamental things that were going on with these banks and recognizing, okay, well, yeah, if you were in long-term bonds, then you were really exposed to these interest rate hikes that the Fed has been doing. Uh, So it it almost seems obvious. And especially if you also had, uh, like SIVB did, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, if you had all that exposure to the venture capital, again, it seems obvious that, look, when the venture capital was kind of drying up and a lot of these startups were having to go through all this cash, then yeah, the deposits were going to be coming in. People were going to be needing that cash to keep up the operations of their businesses. And if you had long-term bonds, those were gonna be worth less. You know, it, it all seems obvious in hindsight. So a lot of times, you know, in, in the moment, those facts aren't quite available and they're not really kind of transparent in the moment. So what we do a lot of times is we will rely on the technical action. And a lot of times the technical action of the charts while again, we're gonna be looking at some historical examples and it might seem like a lot of hindsight, but the reality is there are a lot of warning signs. There's a lot of ugliness that happens in some of these charts before the company announces that there's any problems. And so we'll go through some of those examples, um, but it's probably worth taking a look right now at you know the, the overall market and specifically the banking area. Uh, And certainly I think people have the right to be a little frightened, uh, especially those of us that remember not too long ago, the 2008 financial crisis uh, that happened where uh, some some companies that had been around for 100 100 years, Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, you know, they just no longer exist. So you kind of get this sense of, here's a cockroach coming out from under the kitchen cabinet and is that the only one or are there a bunch of other cockroaches you know and we now have not just SIVB that we're looking at but signature bank uh you know that had problems as well and then we've got first republic Republic and you know then it's like okay well now who else um even some of the brokerages uh like you look at charles schwab and how 
devastated that got. It just like looked terrible for a little while. And, you know, that I think brought up a lot of concerns. So um, I, I don't know. I, I, I just I just kind of gave a big, long introduction. Where do you want to start here, Allie, with charts? <laughs> exactly. I think that's all really great context to the current conversation. And I know across our sister companies, whether it is Barron's or Market Watch or Wall Street Journal, and uh, even from the IEBD perspective, a lot of insights around this topic. And I think where we can really add value is exactly as you're saying, Justin, with that technical analysis picture and how that can be really helpful in analyzing not only the, the current situation, but if this happens again in the future. And I think also to help us set the stage, I think looking at uh, some ETFs that are tracking banking stocks would be a good place to start before we get into uh, the SIVB and the historical examples, as you mentioned. So let's start with a look at the KRE ETF. This tracks regional banks on pace for a decline of more than 13% this week, on top of a 16% decline last week alone. So really slashed uh, by about a third here, you know, some 30% in two weeks. So a pretty stunning jaw-dropping decline if you're looking at a chart, seeing just these two huge red bars one after another on a weekly chart. So this is not looking good here, Justin, to see the regional banks falling apart like this. Yeah, it, it, it really is is concerning. Um, but taking a step back, maybe we start with the S&P 500 to just as a reminder, uh, it, we were in a bear market, right? 2022, and some would argue it even started earlier in 2021. Uh, we have been in this bear market for a while, and it's it's been it's been tough. We've had these rallies up to the 40-week moving average line. We're looking at a weekly chart right now, and so you can really see that the the S&P 500 topped in November 2021, roughly, and then it's been doing this steady decline. Now we had a rally up in March. Uh, we had a rally in June, July. Uh, we had a, a rally that started in October, and each time it kind of got to that 40-week line. This is the black line on the chart that Allie's showing right now, and then it, it failed. Now, this last time, things started to look different. It started to look like we were staying above the 40-week moving average line, and that was something that we were getting a little bit more positive uh, about, especially, let's go ahead and take a look at the NASDAQ real quick, especially Even because stronger. in January, we really shifted into uh, back into growth stocks, uh, a lot of chip stocks, the semiconductor, fabulous, uh, the equipment makers, manufacturers, uh, they were having a great time. You did have some of these stocks that were coming off the bottom, and you're, you're going to have that every time after a bear market. Sure. There are going to be those things that just uh, the, the bigger their fall, kind of the bigger their bounce sometimes, um, and China had a lot of that going on too. Uh, mm -hmm. But you did have some really strong participants of stocks that their relative strength was already great. Uh, you had their, uh, they were already above a lot of their shorter term moving average lines. So not only were they already above their 200 day, but they were above their 50 day, they were mm -hmm. above their 21 day. So that was, 
kind of setting the stage in January for things to right. be improving to a, a degree. Um, now let's go ahead and before we look at the regional banks, let's kind of dive down into the XLF, which is a little bit broader. Exactly. This is the sector spider ETF um, for financials. And I would say that this was actually looking pretty good. Constructive fact, to yeah, it was, see it moving higher along with the broad market in January. Absolutely, absolutely. But you always have to be a little bit careful in the early stages of a bounce uh, during a bear market because it's never quite certain, is this a bear market rally or is this the beginning of something you know beautiful to come? So this did look very constructive. It got back above its 50-day its 50 moving average line. It got back above its 200-day moving average line. And it seemed like it was getting support uh, at the 50-day at the moving average line. So all of that was pretty good here uh, for XLF. Now, it did have this pullback in February, which, look, after, after a strong January, that's expected. So nothing mm -hmm. really surprising there. Um, but then as it got below the 50-day moving average line, that's where you have to start getting concerned. This is a big technical factor where we start saying, okay, if you've bought recently into XLF, and I, I think it would have been very hard to hold this for the last you know year or so because of how devastating the market was. Um, mm -hmm. But, but for if you would, a recent buy. Yeah. So if you were looking at a recent buy, then risk management rules have to come into play. You have to, at a certain point, be thinking, okay, how can I cut my loss small with, with these stocks? And mm -hmm. I always think of that when I'm getting into any position, not taking too big of a loss. There's the idea that if you take too big of a loss and you dig yourself into too much of a hole, it's going to take so much to get out of that. So I'm always very careful to keep my losses small. I want them under, under 10%. 7 to 8% is usually the max that I will allow any position to go against me from my purchase price. Now, if I've got a lot of cushion on something, that's very different. I, I will let it pull back on me, you know, 10, 15, you know, depending on how much cushion I have, I'll, I'll be willing to give up some of that cushion in order to get a big move. But as when long I as it's holding above those key moving yes, averages. Yeah, above those key moving averages. So um, it's got to be getting support in the right areas and not showing signs that it's turning over. So this is going to be really important. So it's not just staying above the moving averages, but you also want those moving averages to be going in the right direction. So if you look at any chart recently, a lot of the 200-day moving average lines have been in a decline. You know, the 50-day lines are just starting to get up there. But when I think XLF was starting to show some signs of trouble is see where it crossed below the, that right there on the 7th of March, that's where it crossed below the 50-day moving average line. Okay, so- With a weak close. Yeah, a very weak close. And then you quickly saw that 50-day moving average line start turning over. Okay, so now let's go into KRE. Okay, and this is the regional banks. Now, this has a little bit of a different picture. You know, XLF was looking a lot stronger than KRE. Now, KRE, this is the Spider S&P 500, uh, S&P regional banks. So this is a kind of a subsection of that financial sector, and this had just gotten above its 200-day moving average line, and it, on the 1st of February. On the 1st of February. Finally able to get above it. 
but a couple weeks for a couple weeks, weeks right mm -hmm. and the the 200 day moving average line hadn't turned up yet the 50 day moving average line hadn't turned up yet so it was still below the 200 day and it was still below the 200 day so this is a very different picture on the kre so the regional banks were already showing weakness relative to the overall financial sector so that's that's kind of a first a first step to just recognize where the strength is and where the weakness is. There was already weakness showing up in KRE. And again, this is again easier to say in hindsight that, oh, something bad is going to happen. But that's not what I'm saying. You know, in hindsight, what I can say for, and I can say this at any moment, when you see the 50 day below the 200 day, when you see those in a downtrend, when you see the stock or ETF trading below those levels, you are in a weaker position. It's as simple as that. And so um, this is this is the kind of stuff I avoid. I avoid things that are in weaker positions. While right. it may be tempting to say, but you can get such a strong bounce from these, that's not, that's not my style. Mm -hmm. I go off of strength. And KRE was not in a position of strength uh, prior to this whole mess. Exactly, and I think you make a key point there. In this discussion, we are not saying we had a crystal ball here and everyone should have been shorting regional right. banks ahead of this crisis. But because we know what strength looks like and that's what we focus on, we, you know, as active traders, the focus should be on the areas of the market that are outperforming. We weren't looking at this area as a place to find actionable individual names because we were seeing strength elsewhere. So exactly. I think it's it's uh, it's less about, you know, making a, a big call ahead of a crisis and more about, well, we avoided it because we were focused on the technicals and what was showing that strength. And this was not it. Yeah. So that, now let's just go ahead and take a look at the SIVB chart. Uh, you know, we can pull it up while we can, because <laughs> you know, the reality is this is a chart that may be going away. Um, yeah, Look with at the this. last day of trade marked on the 9th of March with a 60% drop, Justin. Yes, uh, paint the picture here of what we're looking at. Okay, so here we have a stock that was clearly still in a downtrend. We have the 200-day line. That's the black line, still in a downtrend. We have the 50-day moving average line, you know, that was in a well downtrend below. and still below the 200-day moving average line. So, um now, what was kind of interesting here is we had gotten back above that 50-day moving average line, but we were looking at potential resistance at that 40-week line. So this is the weekly chart that we're looking at right now. So I kind of use the 40-week and 200-day uh, kind of interchangeably and the 50-day and 10-week uh, line, the red line, interchangeably. But you can see that we were kind of getting up to that level of the 40-week moving average line. So yes, it was quite a move off the bottom. I mean, we went from 200 up to 340, but we still, again, this is where you have to be very careful. Things that are coming off the bottom can have very big moves off the bottom, but there's still a lot of overhead supply. If you look to the left of this chart, you can see that 340, you know, where, where it was at is nowhere near its peak. You know, its peak was at 800. So this is still well off its highs. So as strong as that move was from 200, it still was at an, a critical area 
that 40 week moving average line. And I think the evidence wasn't there yet on, on SIVB. So going back to the daily chart, uh, again, this, this was something that had started getting above that 50 day moving average line, but it hadn't gotten above the 200 day line. Mm -hmm. That 200 day line was still in a downtrend. Um, so a lot and of we times, have a saying, sorry, if I, if I may just jump in here, that yeah. nothing good happens below the 200 day. Yeah. Oftentimes we are uh, asked about turnaround stocks on IEBD Live. And like you said, yeah, could you could you get catch a move off the bottom? Sure. But history tells us that the odds are more in our favor once you see those more established uptrends and seeing stocks that are trending above a rising 50 day that's above a rising 200 day and we didn't have this yet mm -hmm. and certainly one of the things that we do look for when shorting stocks is when it hits a level of resistance when it hits a level of resistance at a moving average line and that's exactly what was happening at, at the 200 day moving average line here so it was falling from there now look january was so strong i think it would have been tough to say oh yeah let's let's start putting shorts on so i'm not saying that it was obvious in that regard but it did absolutely hit a level of resistance and mm -hmm. fell from there so i think here again if you had bought this recently you really had to look at your risk management rules um if you had bought this a while ago the question is why were you still in it you know where were your risk management rules to kind of help protect you uh, to, to get you out of something because you don't want to be wasting time and lose years. And that's, that's what happens a lot of times. You lose years of performance by sticking with a stock that just is obviously a laggard. And I think when something comes off from 800 to 200, uh, mm -hmm. that, that to me, there's not much of a reason to stay with something like that that's taking that kind of a hit. Exactly. Well, that is a good look at the current picture. And so now we want to talk about some historical examples, because this is far from the first time that something like this has happened. So let's dig in a little bit more into how we can utilize those signals using technical analysis to spot these warning signs Enron, we got to include Enron here, Justin, because uh, if this wasn't a, a big shocker at the time, then I don't know what was, but set this, the scene for us here because IBD founder Bill O'Neill, before all the stuff from Enron came out, for a time, the stock looked good. And yeah. the the fundamentals, uh, though cooked, <laughs> right? They looked great. Looked great. <laughs> it's amazing when you cook the books how great the fundamentals can look, right? Um, yeah. So uh, Bill O'Neill, the the founder of Investors Business Daily, um, he had a lot of services that he was providing for institutional investors. You know, big big mutual funds, hedge funds, insurance companies, banks, you know, you name it. And one of the things he had, it was called the new stock market ideas list. Uh, Nesmi is, is, was our nickname for it. And Enron was actually on the Nesmi list, um, you know, here in 2001. Now it was a tough market during this time. Cause remember what was going on in 2001, we were in the middle of that dot-com crash uh, that happened where the NASDAQ was down 79%. So you were definitely in the throes of a bear market. And this is exactly where Bill took Enron off the Nesme list. Um, this, this, where, where this fourth arrow uh, to the right, this was on 
uh, November 29th, uh, the price uh, 2000, the price at the time was 72.91 when this came off the Nesme list. So why, why did it come off? Well, what Bill was noticing, he did not have any access to inside information that anything funny was going on with the company. He still was looking at what everyone else was looking at. But what he noticed was, here's a stock that is now undercutting its 10-week moving average line. It's undercutting its 40-week moving average line. And you're starting to see some very heavy volume on the down weeks. This is a weekly chart, and you can see there's four, there's four areas here where there was just heavy volume on down weeks, and you had this cross of the moving average lines. Um, you had a previous cross and then a kind of a weak rally. Um, and so he's like, you know what? Uh, actually, I think it was the third arrow that he took it off on. So then you had this weak rally where it didn't, didn't make much progress, and then you had another, um, that fourth week down and then another cross of those moving average lines. So he took it off on that first cross of the 40 week moving average line. So let's go ahead and go forward a little bit in time. Right. Uh, because so, again, yeah. there's nothing, nothing looking particularly bad here, but you've got, Hey, the fact that you're below those moving average lines is something that we do pay attention to. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. And just for context too. So this is a multi-year strong move that this stock has had oh, a, yeah. a big, mm -hmm. a big run up taking place in the in the lead up to this and so we're seeing some topping signals a flash right. here so like you said those declines in heavy volume weak rally failure at uh retaking moving averages and so now we've advanced the chart to show the following uh couple of months here on a weekly chart and you can see continued failure so walk us through how this topping action has continued to unfold. So uh, again, Bill took this off the Nesme list at, you know, 72. And you can see that it got back up to 80 after he took it off, um, you know, but he was just like, I'm just not interested in it anymore. It just, it looks, it looks a little funny. Um, and then we got it coming back below those moving averages. And notice how you, you, you made a great point, Allie. This is something that had been trending for a while. Look at the 40-week moving average line is in a nice uptrend for years. And then what we see is that that 40-week moving average line is starting to turn. It's starting to turn down. We've also got that 50-day moving average line or the 10-week moving average line now below the 40-week moving average line. So that's that's giving you some concern. And I mentioned that there were four heavy volume weeks where you, you see these big spikes in volume and very poor price action. Now that four started increasing. You've got five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, it just keeps on going. And so from you know, from 80, or let's just even say 72, where Bill took it off, it's now down at 50. It's now down at 44. So this is showing you, this is telling you, okay, you've gone from 80 and you've gone now down to 44. This is where your risk management rules really have to come into play. How much room are you willing to, how much money are you willing to lose on a stock? If you've been holding this for a while, how much of that cushion are you willing to lose? Um, and if you bought this recently, then you definitely have to be taking action because you are losing 
your capital. And in order to fight and live another day, you have to protect that capital. So again, at this point, the scandal wasn't uh, wasn't out yet. You know, this the, the the only news that was out, I think, was in December of 2000, was that Skilling was going to be the successor to Kenneth Lay and and you know replace him as CEO. Kenneth Lay was going to remain chairman, and that was happening in February. So that's really the only news that's out at this point. But something is obviously wrong with the stock. If you just look at the chart, you don't. And by the way, ignore the fundamentals because a lot of times the fundamentals, whether you're cooking the books or not, are going to be great. Still good at the top. They're still going to be, um, you know. But the market yeah. is it's forward looking. It looks forward, and uh, that's that's what was going on with Enron. So let's go ahead and fast forward. So remember, here we are at 44, and now now stuff is really getting ugly. Um, so from 44. Uh, which is the uh, is that kind of I think that third arrow that we were at. Now you start seeing things you know come out. So in August, um, Skilling resigned. Okay, August of uh, 2001, Skilling resigns. Um, one of the uh, financial executives uh, starts bringing up to Lay, hey, there's some funny things that I'm seeing in the numbers here. And then in October of 01, um, that is the fourth. Uh, the fourth arrow uh, from the from the right in this case, that's where now things are starting to come up. Enron announces big losses. Okay, so that happens on October 16th, uh, 01. Then a, a, a few days later, the SEC says, "Hey, we're going to do an inquiry." Okay, then uh, it really starts coming out. You know, so they're going to have to restate the earnings going back five years. Um, in November, on November 9th, there was actually an $8 billion offer to buy uh, Enron. And, uh, you know, one of the competitors was going to be buying them. But then uh, they had to restate their third quarter earnings. Um, and then eventually Dy Dynegy is like, you know, we're, we're, we're out. At the end of November, they're out. And that's where Enron just just fell apart. And by December of 2001, it it's declaring bankruptcy. But remember, all of that that happened, um, and that's at prices of around 20, 14, 12, 10, down to below a dollar. All of that could have been avoided if you had just been looking at those signals up around 70. You know, so again, it's not saying that it's going to get you out of the top. I don't think anyone can do that. But getting out at 70 from 80 is a lot better than holding something to one. Or eventually zero, right. um, and you know it's very tempting to say, "Oh well, this has got to be it. It can't go any lower. This is Enron." Yes. Um, but they can go lower. They can and they do. Right. And that's the problem I have sometimes with bottom fishing because there are people that will come in and say, "Well, gosh, you know, I mean, even with you know First Republic, there were people playing that saying, "Oh, I'm going to put a, a big bet on this, thinking that it can't go any lower," but you have to be very careful mm -hmm. with that because it can. So you have to have risk management rules in place. Right. And a lot of times when these scandals come out, there is a lot of volatility. It's up, you know, 20% in a day and then down 30% the next day. And so uh, again, the point here is not using like hindsight, you know, uh, in, in a big way, in a kind of a uh, inaccurate way, but this, this was something that unfolded, you know, this actually did come off that list in November of 2000, not because we knew this was going to happen, but just because it was showing weakness and we avoid stocks that show weakness.
Right. And bet, I think, is a very appropriate word for what you're saying uh, with traders trying to take advantage of a potential oversold bounce. And like you said, if you're going to be doing that, you really have to manage your risk and be super, super quick. That's like a, you know, a day trade um, mm -hmm. if, if you are even going to try doing that. And I think another point that you made, Justin, that uh, is is worth emphasizing is, okay, say traders aren't that quick at the top. What about when the declines really start accelerating, uh, whether, you know, in this example, so it's the, the, the fourth arrow, it's already in a decline, but you can really see just that the weekly loss, the biggest weekly loss uh, mm -hmm. that you can see on the chart, it went down much further from there. So it seems like it's safe to say that traders shouldn't assume that, well, it's, it's gone down so much, how much further down can it go? I'm just gonna continue holding. This shows that things can go down much, much further. Yeah, and, and that's why it's so important to, before you enter into any trade, have in your mind, what is my exit? Where where do I say, okay, I, I'm gonna have to take my take my loss here. And that should be also true of a trade in which you have a lot of profits on. You mm -hmm. should have a level of, hey, this is how much I'm willing to give up, but beyond that, no more. You have to have that line in the sand. And more importantly, you have to be willing to stick to that rule that you made for yourself because it can be too easy for you to make a line in the sand and then just kind of wipe it away and say, well, you know what? I didn't think it was really going to hit that. So let me make a different line in the sand. Let me wait and see if it you know, comes out of this because sometimes it's that waiting game that can get you into a lot of trouble because it's you know there's this old turkey story that bill uh used to used to tell a lot in his seminars and he has it in his book it's actually i think from someone else uh, fred kelly and it's the whole idea of this boy that's trying to trap turkeys in his little you know trap and at one point he has 12 turkeys that he could potentially get in his trap um but a few go out and so while he's waiting for those to come back in a few more go out and then eventually he ends up going home with an empty trap because he was trying to you know get back to where he was and that never happened and so you just have to make sure that you have those levels set and that you follow them because risk management is so important if you're going to be doing um doing investing in the stock market a great analogy there let's move on to our next example and that is bear stearns so in the lead up to the top of this stock we also saw a, a strong prior uptrend but then those topping signals with weakness those reversals and down weeks coming in heavy volume and starting to pile up yeah and this is one of the things that's kind of tricky about the sell signals is because a lot of times we look at a buy signal and there's something specific that we look at that's like, hey, this is a potential change. But sell signals are a lot trickier. It's just just as you said, Allie, there's a pileup. You know, it's it's not one thing. It's that you've got this, 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 and and they just start piling up. And that's what has to tell you, hey, there's there's so many things piling up now. I've got to take some action. And I should also mention that it doesn't require you doing an all or nothing bet here. You can take some action and see what happens. You know, you'll find out very quickly, was that a good sell or a bad sell? If it was a bad sell, the stock goes up 
and maybe you have to buy those shares back. If it was a good sell, the stock goes down more and you start saying, well, maybe I should sell a little bit more. And it just kind of gets you, gets you moving in the right direction. But here we are with Bear Stearns. And again, this was, this was during the financial crisis, but before kind of all the news was out. And, you know, we have, again, a very similar situation here where you're starting to see that big volume spike up on the weeks that have poor price action. And then you have a lot of those weeks piling up and then you've got that 50, you have the 10 week moving average line start trending down. You know, so it's been in this uptrend and now it's trending down. So that's another signal, not necessarily something that you're going to do anything about, but then you get the action of the price, the, the price action living below that 40 week moving average line. So that's something that you should really pay attention to because when you can't get above and stay above your 40 week moving average line, that means that, you know, you're, you're not even above where you've been for most of the year. Okay, so now you're you're potentially giving up, you know, quite a bit of, um, you know, quite a bit of gains if you have them, or you're taking on losses from where you bought if you bought recently, and then you can just see it kind of skyrockets from there. And I, I want to point out there's, um, especially as it as it really kind of accelerates here, like around 140, there's a level here where you just see that it's persistent week after week after week selling. And this is at 140, okay? So the stock topped around 170. So at 140, yes, you're not at the top, but you you haven't given up like a tremendous amount yet. You know, you're you're down 10, 15, maybe 20% off the top. So you're still able to kind of, yes, I've given that up from the top, but assuming that you had a lot of cushion there, um, you're, you're still coming out profitable. Now, if you had bought this recently, then I think that there's no reason to be sitting through this as it's trading below that 40 week moving average line. But mm -hmm. you definitely see it get a little persistent there on the selling as it goes through 140. And this is still early days. In this chart, we see it go down to 70. And this is in January of 2008. And then here's that arrow of where we stopped in January of 2008. You can see how it's way up there. And then things really get bad. So now, even prior to that, it's living below its 40-week moving average line. It's living below its 10-week moving average line. It comes up to that line, can't stay above it. So when this is trading at 80, down from 170 or 160, you know it's already shown a lot of weakness, a lot of warning signs that, hey, this is, this is weak. This is something to avoid. This is not something to buy. Again, not that it's going out of business necessarily. We don't know that. But there's a lot of reasons to avoid a stock that's acting this week. And then, uh, you know, sure enough, what happens in this case is we have, um, you know, oh, I, I should mention in January of 08, you know, that's where Bank of America, uh, they had to take over countrywide. So they, they took that over. And then in March, that's when um, the government had to basically come in and, and, and provide a, a guarantee to JP Morgan to uh, take over Bear Stearns. And, you know, that's that's what happened here in, in March. And then, and, and you know, again, some people might look at this and say, oh, well, gosh, if you had bought this at 4.8 and then it went up to 14, uh, wow, look at what you could have done. But um, I, I think that's just so risky because, you know, no one knew 
what was going to happen or if the another shoe was going to drop there. So that kind of volatility is not something I'm looking for as an opportunity. I just really avoid these because let's say you get in, you know, this at seven, you might think, well, how much lower can it go? Well, if you got in at seven, you can still lose a hundred percent of your money. Mm -hmm. So no matter where you get in, you have to think of that. Um, you can still lose a hundred percent of your money, uh, no matter where you get in. So that's, that's Bear Stearns. Um, we can real quickly go over yes. Citigroup. Uh, this was another one during the great financial crisis of 2008 that, again, this was something that had been looking okay. It was trending above its, uh, its 40 week moving average line, not in a big way. It's not like there was a huge uptrend here. It wasn't really a, a big outperformer. Um, but you can, you can definitely see how things kind of turned when this got below its 10-week moving average line and below its 40-week moving average line. And I should also mention um, something that I didn't mention previously, but is also important that I look at is that relative strength line. So on all of our charts, we do a relative strength line versus the S&P 500 to kind of just say, hey, are you keeping pace with the market or not? And in these cases, you can see that you were you were lagging the S&P 500. So the question is, why would you want to be holding on to a stock that isn't even performing as well as the S&P 500? Right. When you can take on that diversification in the S&P 500, maybe you're not going to get as much of a, a return, but you're not going to be risking as much. And if you're not getting the return, then why on earth would you be taking the risk? So all of these cases, we've got the uh, relative strength line in downtrends. And you know, kind of going forward on, on Citigroup, um, you know, people could look at this and say, well, uh, eventually, okay, in, in 2008, you know, uh, October of 2008, it eventually bottomed in 2009, in March of 2009, going forward a little bit more. And again, this was trading it, uh, this was trading it like a dollar, you know, and this was Citigroup, which was a, a very well-respected uh, bank. And no one thought that this was going to come off that much. And, you know, here we are. It's trading at a dollar. Um, now, you might say, but look, Citigroup survived. You know, sure, it did. But let's go ahead and look at this uh, monthly chart. Um, it has never gotten back up to the levels it was at in 2007. So if you've been waiting for this to come back to that level, this has been a long wait because since 2008, um, it's, it's still well off of those highs. And you might, you might be asking yourself for those of you that are looking at the chart here, uh, that what happened to the price that it seemed like the price was, you know, topping at 60 and now it says the price topped at 600. Well, the price action was so poor on Citigroup mm -hmm. that they did a reverse split. They did a one for 10 reverse split so that they could get the price up for their shares. So they didn't look like a penny stock, you know, and again, this is Citigroup. So, um, again, just to kind of get back to that original point, it's not that we knew that a crisis was unfolding. It's not that we knew that something bad, some scandal was going to happen or that there was cooking of the books or that there was these hidden losses that were happening. None of that information was known to us at the time. But in any of these charts, I can take one look at it and I can say, that's a weak stock. I don't know why it's weak. But the chart tells me it's a weak stock. The relative strength line is poor. The volume is coming in on the um, heavy on the down days or down weeks. And it's not able to stay above those 
10-week moving average lines and 40-week moving average lines. That's a weak stock, and that's something I avoid, and that helps me avoid a lot of these scandals and crises. Thank you so much, Justin. We're coming up on the end of our time here, but super quickly, I think two questions worth addressing. One is in terms of the current market, and I can go back over to MarketSmith and show the NASDAQ here. The question is simply, what does the future hold? And I think the answer is we have to take things day by day and look at the signals. And it comes down to where we are in relation to those moving averages and what direction those moving averages are headed in. We're not out of the woods here by any means. And we are seeing a period of heightened volatility. So it's really requiring investors to be quite nimble at this time. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. That no one knows what the future holds. Um, there's we're just a headline away from something else, either making us go up a lot or go down a lot. You know, so uh, no one knows what those future headlines are going to look like. But as you said, if you take it day by day, what I can tell you right now is that there's a lot of volatility. You know, it seems like we're either up a percent or two or down a percent or two on a daily basis. And I just know from experience, that's a tough environment to make money in. I can also tell you that it just seems that things have not been trending for very long. Um, you know, you had, let's, let's take a look at XLE, for example. XLE was, if we look at the weekly chart on this, this was one of those that was doing so well in 2022. And it looked like it was, you know, potentially gonna do well here at the end of 2022. But now that has kind of failed. You know, that's now trading below its uh, its 40-week moving average line. Um, on the flip side, you have the technology. So let's take a look at XLK. XLK has been looking a lot stronger. This is the Spider Select uh, ETF for tech. And, you know, if we look at the weekly chart here, we can see that this is something that's looking a lot stronger. It's kind of getting support at that 40-week moving average line. And you know, and, and that, that makes me feel a little bit better that tech is getting the support, but I'm also, I'm going to be very quick to change my mind on how positive I think tech is if I start seeing this go below those moving average lines. Um, so right now we're very, we're in very early days being above that 40 week moving average line. We've had a couple months above it, but it remains to be seen. Can we stay above that 40 week moving average line? Uh, for for tech, and uh, that's that's the question that remains to be seen. So, you just have to have rules in place to protect you, and you know, give you the opportunities with either scenario. Okay, if this happens, then I'm going to do more buying, and if this happens, I'm going to need to do more selling to protect myself. Well said, Justin. And the other question that I just quickly wanted to address, uh, Tedor is asking, what is the simplest, best strategy for self-directed stock market investors? Which is a little bit of a loaded question, but just uh, some quick things to know. You want to be focusing on stocks that are showing strong top and bottom line growth that are in uptrends. You want to be trending with the market. Look for proper entries. Where are those stocks in relation to the moving averages? Are they way extended above the moving averages? Then odds are they could be pulling back towards those moving averages. You want to be focusing on leading industry groups. Of course, you want to stay in step with the market trend and you want to be following those sell rules and managing your risk. Don't uh, put 
too much of a big bet in one stock, make sure you're looking at uh, those portfolio weightings and cut losses where it makes sense in relation to those moving averages and at a maximum of seven to eight percent ideally those are just some tips that we have but when it comes to current market conditions and buy and sell rules portfolio management we talk about that a lot over at investors business daily and in a very interactive way on our daily live stream ibd live so just uh, check that out if you have more interest but that is it for today justin thank you so much for all of the insights Oh, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here on Barron's Live. Great. That's all the time that we have. So make sure that you join us again next Monday for Barron's Live with Senior Managing Editor Lauren R. Rublin and Deputy Editor Ben Levinson, who are going to discuss the outlook for financial markets, industries, sectors, and individual stocks. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We hope you have a great day. We'll see you back here next month.